You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. It's Rico Daily. I'm Ronnie Mola. All of the biggest names in classic rock are doing it. Getting mega rich. Yet again. On their long list of these bona fide hits that have long swirled around in the cultural zeitgeist. These artists have all sold their entire catalog of music, every song they've ever written and recorded, for hundreds of millions of dollars, essentially cashing out on their careers. It seems like a good idea for them. But who exactly is behind these huge payments, and why are they shelling out these massive sums of money now? I've been covering music for about five or six years, so I ask everyone, like, has this ever happened before? And everyone says no. That's Anna Nicolaou, who writes about music and media for the Financial Times. Just in the past year or two, there's been this kind of massive transformation in the music industry. Historically, you know, the owners of music copyrights would be music companies and musicians and, you know, all the associated publishers and bodies and and such. Just in the past few years, we've seen a lot of big investors become interested in music copyrights. Um, So we're talking, you know, the biggest funds in the world, BlackRock and PIMCO, have trillions of dollars of assets under management, and they are buying up songs. And how are these investors, the hedge funds and other investors, how are they cashing in on it? Like, obviously, they're there for a reason. I mean, there's a lot of factors. The industry has been growing again. There's all kinds of these very, very positive forecasts being put out by Goldman Sachs and whoever about just a straight line north in terms of growth. But there's more to it. I mean, if you're, you know, an investor in the past decade or so, really, but certainly the past five years, there's not that many places to put your money because of such low interest rates for such a long time. So if you are, you know, Blackstone and you can pay however amount of money for a song catalog that will provide, you know, a 5% return per year steadily, that's a decent deal right now. That's so interesting to think of it that way as, you know, an investment vehicle like Apollo or Blackstone buying Despacito, then getting money from Spotify if a certain number of people listen to it and then also licensing it out for, you know, a commercial. Yeah, it's basically music has been made into a security or at least on a level that it has never really been before. When I talk to the investors, they literally say we view this kind of similarly to a bond. The way the industry makes money is quite different now. We pay, you know, a monthly fee to Spotify. In the past, you'd put out a CD and maybe it would make a lot of money and then nothing would happen for three years um, with that specific 
artist, right? So they say that music income itself is a lot more predictable now. And, you know, there's all these people now at all these big investors calculating predicted cash flow from a song for the next, you know, 10, 20 years. Got it. I mean, it's I, I like that you compare it to a bonds. They're like relatively safe investments because they're picking songs and catalogs, at least that are have already shown that they're perennially popular. And what role do services, streaming services like Spotify play in this business of buying and selling music catalogs? The advent of Spotify turned around the music business into a growth industry again. It had been kind of a decade and a half of shrinking and it's been growing quite steadily um, in the past, you know, five or six years. So I think the biggest role Spotify's had in this whole thing is that they've changed the narrative around music so dramatically that we're seeing for the first time really massive investors wanting to invest in music. What kinds of artists are most successful in selling their work? The big names that we've seen, and I'm sure a lot of people have seen this, like a headline every week at this point, of these big deals, you know, $100 million plus sales uh, have largely been kind of these legendary artists that are very well known. Neil Young, Bruce Springsteen, Paul Simon, Stevie Nicks, Neil Diamond. They're generally older musicians. They're generally in the genre of rock or like rock adjacent. And they're the ones that have been really seizing upon this opportunity the most in terms of the amount of money they're getting for their music right now. That makes sense on one level, but then on the other level, as you said, they're not the most popular now. And if you look at the artists who are selling their catalogs, they seem to, as you said, be older. They're also whiter. They're more likely to be rock musicians. What's that about? With any transaction, right, there's demand and supply. So on the supply side, we have people who might be, you know, in their 70s. They're effectively retiring. This is their retirement fund. And they see that the music industry is going up. There's demand for these song catalogs and they can get a good price and pass this down to their family for generations. So on that side, you know, it, it does make a lot of sense that this would be primarily older musicians who would be interested in this. And on the demand side, in terms of, you know, why people want to buy these specific types of catalogs, it's, yeah, it's, it's exactly what you said. It's this notion that these are proven songs, songs that will last for decades to come that will be used in a movie or being covered on YouTube or whatever it might be. I recently started looking into, you know, why has hip hop not been really a significant part of right, this? Right, that's what I was going to ask you about. Yeah. Yeah. I, guess, I mean, because as I'm sure you know, like hip hop is the most popular type of music in the U.S. and has been for quite a while now. Hip hop itself has actually gotten a lot older, as um, I think we were all rudely awakened to with the Super Bowl um, <laughs> and finding out that rappers from the 90s are essentially like classic rock now. But yeah, it's, a, it's, it's still it's a younger genre, even though the earliest artists are now older. Um, it's still younger, so it's still less likely to have, you know, those hits that have been around for decades. Right. Um, they are out there but it's just not as common. Other factors here would be sampling. In the 80s and 90s, particularly, a lot of hip-hop songs did a lot of sampling. There'd be dozens of people who own a part of a copyright, and that just makes it a lot more complicated to monetize or to sell. There's a basic idea of just everyone has 
bias in their life. The investors who are buying these are probably on the older side. Yeah, they'll know Bob Dylan, obviously, as most people do. And are they more likely to be white? <laughs> yeah, I'd say statistically, that's, that's definitely fair to say. That part of it, I think, makes sense. No one's going to obviously go out there and announce that they're spending all this money based on their emotions. But I think it's fair to say, in, in especially in music itself, I mean, there's all these economic reasons behind it, but there's also like the bragging rights, right? Like of saying like, I bought Bob Dylan or whatever. Like that's obviously going to be appealing to anyone. Something someone pointed out to me that was interesting was just that the hip hop that is old enough now is what, like 80s, 90s-ish. And at that point, the genre was really being invented. It was very new. It was very experimental. It wasn't necessarily being created to be commercialized. Just because of that, revolutionary types of creative things generally wouldn't lend themselves to like a Clorox commercial or whatever it might be. Something like less than 5% of catalog deals last year were hip hop, which again is just like kind of startling considering it represents more than a third of listening on Spotify. So there's clearly a disconnect here, but it's not that it's not happening at all. It's just nowhere on the level. So what does music becoming this sort of financial investment mean for, you know, smaller independent or up and coming artists? I think there's probably going to be a lot of long term effects from it. And we don't even really know what they are yet. In the absolute immediate moment, if you have any sort of popular song, it's a good time to sell it. There is this kind of bigger picture transfer of ownership happening towards Wall Street. And you have to imagine that there will be effects from that. Again, I've been covering this for five or six years. Five years ago, it was an entirely different industry. It was even hard for me to write about as a financial reporter because it was like they wouldn't hire banks to do deals. It would be like everyone would know like this one lawyer and they would call each other and like shake hands and a deal would be done. And now in the past few years, like Spotify has gone public. Universal Music has gone public, Warner Music has gone public, all of a sudden PIMCO is buying music. It's just been this very dramatic shift culturally as well. I don't know what the impact will be, but there will be a, a long-term impact to all this. Wow. So now in order to make it, you have to have a hit, a hedge fund has to buy that hit, yeah. and it has to accompany a Clorox commercial. <laughs> exactly. That's that's the new success metric, right. I guess. So music has never seemed so uncool. Um, yeah. Anna, thank you so much. This was fascinating. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Today's episode was produced and engineered by John Ahrens. I'm Ronnie Mola. Thanks for listening. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.